0: Welcome to Life Church. I'm Aaron Cole, the senior pastor. It's really great to see you today. Everybody enjoying this weekend? Having a good weekend? Yes? Yes? No? I am. I'm glad to see you. Glad to have you here. And uh, man, my Razorbacks won yesterday because they weren't playing. That's always a good thing. And uh, yeah. So I got to tell you this story. I was talking, I, I, after the service, I'll talk to families and people in the foyer. I love just kind of getting to connect, and, and one of the dads told me, he said, yeah, we were having a car ride the other day, and uh, my son has just come in on the weekend services. He's been going to Life Kids, they've been raised in church here, and, and, uh, and he said, Dad, Pastor Aaron said the other day that he cusses, so I must have said some comment in some sermon, right? Like I just I cussed a little bit, it was some joke, I said something, but he was taking me literally." And he goes, no, I don't think you understand him correctly. He goes, no, 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 I, I heard him just, no, no. He, that's what he said, Dad. That's what he said. And his little brother goes, well, I know, I know when, when, when Pastor Aaron cusses. And he goes, what? He goes, no, guys, he doesn't cuss. He doesn't do any that. And he goes, yep. He said, when Arkansas was playing North Texas and they did that punt return all the way in for a touchdown, that's when Pastor Aaron cusses. <laughs> and uh, I thought, no, I didn't, but I thought about it. But, you know, he's <laughs> probably a pretty smart kid. So, anyhow. So I don't cuss, and my Razorbacks won because they weren't playing yesterday. So that's a good day. And Wisconsin won, and so it's a good day, good weekend. And hopefully everybody's having a great weekend this this weekend. And and uh, uh, you got an extra hour of sleep, so you're here. Anybody show up like way 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 early today? Yeah, you went to Cracker Barrel. I know I saw you or George Webb right down the street or whatever. So this is good. This is really good. So if you have your Bibles, only you turn with me to First Peter chapter three. First Peter chapter three. Um, and this weekend and next weekend, uh, we're going to talk about just a really simple subject of, of how do you share your faith? Um, so if you're not a Christ follower, you're going to kind of get to peer into, uh, uh, you know, what the Bible talks about, about how we are to, to be witnesses of Christ. And, and we know that's part of the calling as a Christ follower is to go into all the world and preach and teach the gospel and so how do I do that? Well, I do that as, as someone who's not in vocational ministry. I do that by, not by preaching in the lunchroom, right, or standing up in a break room, and a, that'll get you arrested at work, and, 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 uh, but just by simply communicating your faith. And so this weekend and next weekend, I want to talk about this. How do, you, how do you do that? And it's really pretty simple, and the Bible's pretty direct about it as far as how to do it. Not just that you need to tell people that you're a Christ follower, but how to do it to you. And especially in the world in which we live in. Um, because there is so much hostility that goes on, and there's so much divide that goes on, and there's so much, like, polarization and... and um, you know, and you'll find, too, with me, I'm, I'm relatively politically neutral um, because every time you see in Scripture uh, when they're trying to get Jesus involved in some political dis- discussion, uh, like on taxation from the Roman government oppressing the, the Jews in the first century, they tried to get him involved in this. And he said, okay, hey, 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 if it's tax season, then, then, then you know, what, what, what inscription is on the coins in which you carry the, the money? And they said, well, it's Caesar's. And he said, well, then render under Caesar what's Caesar, but under God what's God's. Meaning that the only thing that bears the image of God on the face of the planet is humanity. That's you and me. So let's give ourselves to God and everything else, give it to the government, give it to whatever. Let's just move on. This is not what I came to do. And so, so again, not that, not that your activity in politics and, and government is not important. Not that it can't be something that doesn't have your values and so forth and so on and speaking into it. But rather, when we come to church, the greatest thing I can do for you is just go back to what does the Bible say? How do you live your life out? How do you live your life for Christ? How do you have a godly marriage? How do you marry someone who's godly? How, how do you raise a family this way? How do, you, how do you have second, third, and fourth generation that's going to serve God? How, how do you honor God with your business? How do you honor God with the work of your hands? Again, there's enough there for it to keep us busy for a while. Amen? And besides getting into the weeds and a lot of other things. And so this is something that I think is really, really, really important, especially because of the world in which we live in. There's so much polarization, hostility going on. And, and I don't know about you, but I, I try sometimes to actively avoid conversations that I think are going to get into religion or to I'm a pastor. I know you don't necessarily have that problem and I wish I didn't, but uh, not that I don't wish I was a pastor, but just those conversations. I'm on an airplane or I'm, I'm traveling somewhere. You're just talking to someone else and they go, oh, what do you do for a living? Well, I'm a pastor. Well, immediately it's either meow. the wall goes up right? Because they've had a bad church experience or they begin to tell me how hypocritical I am and the church is and everybody that's involved in church because they had this bad experience or it becomes like this confessional booth where here's all their sins, here's everything that's going on. I mean, literally and and just really. And so anyhow, so so you, you've been there before where where you know somebody finds out that you're a follower of Christ, somebody finds out that you know you you go to church, and and, and then they want to begin to ask you questions that you you just don't even know how to answer. Like theologically, you just don't know how to, how do I unpack that? What 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 do I do with that? And and or or some some obscure scripture, and how does this fit into or 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 they bring politics in into the mix of it, which makes it even because religion and politics, why wow, just even the more, and it's just all it just starts unraveling on you to the point that you just go, I don't even want to just like, I want to serve God, and I want to live for God, and I want people to come to faith in Jesus Christ, but I just don't know how to navigate that. Or someone has a bad church experience, and then all of a sudden, you and everybody that you're associated with, you're just a bunch of hypocrites. Have you ever had anybody tell you that? Yeah, somebody said to me last week, you're just a bunch of hypocrites, it's just what you are. I'll never forget, I was in Wauwatosa going into a restaurant one day, and somebody had come to Life Church, had a bad experience, very sorry for that. But I never interacted with the person. I don't know them. I don't know who hacked them off or what exactly happened. But immediately in this whole area, they pointed and said, that's the pastor at Life Church. That's the jerk, and that's his church, and just started going off on some bad experience that they had in front of God and everybody. And I'm going, hi, how are you? I'm just trying to eat, man. I'm just trying to get a burger and some fries, you know? And so it was just like, I do not. So you you have those there, you know, Thanksgiving and Christmas is around the corner. And so you're going to be with the in-laws and the outlaws, right? And anybody got a crazy uncle Eddie? You know what I'm talking about? Like there's just somebody that's going to get on to, especially with these midterm elections. So there's politics that's going to be discussed, right? There is, uh, there's going to be religion that's going to be discussed. And you're, the, you're, 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 in my case, I'm, I'm like the preacher, so I always have to pray for everything, and, and, and if there's some big theological question, I have to answer it, and, and the honest-to-God the honest truth on a lot of these theological questions is we don't know. Like, you want to go, well, now, let me, let me show you about the eschaton of time. I've got a set of maps here. I'm just going to lay these maps out. I'm, we're going to start right over here. You don't know. You know, somebody said to me about Revelation, why do we not talk more about the book of Revelation? Because, <laughs> do you understand the nuances of the eschaton of time from the end of the age until Jesus comes back? I can tell you where all the major events are and what and what is there, but exactly when and how that unfolds and what all of that means and what all John the Revelator is actually seeing on the Isle of Patmos, we, as Paul would say, this side of eternity, we, we know in part and we understand in part. There's a lot of it that we just completely have to trust in faith and go, we, we know that God is coming back, and we know that heaven is real, and we know that hell is real, and we know that God loves people, and that we're here, but, but how all this completely unfolds, it, some of this is still a mystery. Read, read half the book of Daniel. People go, what does that mean? Can I just help you? I mean, I, I haven't earned a doctorate in theology. I don't know nobody, they can conjecture. I've sat with professors uh, from, from leading, leading Ivy League universities. I, I, I was in a, a lectureship at, at Oxford University with the, with, with, with the leading theologian on the, on the Trinity, on the triune Godhead of Father, Son, Holy Spirit. And he talked about the immutable, unchangeable God. And when he got done, I was like, I, I am like a termite in a yo-yo right now. I am like, just round and around like there there's nebulous aspects to it because this side of eternity man we just don't get everything but you'll have somebody ask you some question some something and you just go "Ah, how do i respond here's what i want you to understand first of all take a deep breath it's going to be okay they're not going to kill you and they won't eat you okay (laughs) second thing is you don't have to have all the answers god doesn't expect you to have all the answers 99.9% of us come to faith in Jesus Christ, understanding the gospel and the good news message, kind of the Billy Graham crusade message of there's a God in heaven who loved you, who created you, who wants to have a relationship with you. He loved you so much that he gave his son Jesus Christ to die on the cross for your sins. And you're a sinner and you know it, and your heart testifies to that. And the Holy Spirit's drawing you because without the drawing of the Holy Spirit, no one comes to repentance. And in this moment, you want to give your heart and your life to Christ because you know that Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. And no one gets to the Father, but to the Son. And if you'll pray this prayer with me and you'll believe in your heart, according to Romans 10, 9, and 10, you'll be saved. And you give your life to Christ. And then you begin this journey. And then you begin to read this incredible book called the Bible. Very few people ever actually read the entire Bible, debate all the issues of the Bible, and then come to faith in Christ. Some do. Most don't. So what happens is, is all of a sudden there are things that people are asking you about questions and they're asking you about books in the Bible that you can't even pronounce. Like you think Malachi is like a, a, a drink at Starbucks. I mean, you just don't know, right? Completely normal. But you think everybody else gets it. They don't. Can I help you? There's a lot of books, a lot of things in the Old Testament. I just kind of skip over. All the begots begot, this person begot, this person begot. I just kind of skip all over it, unless it's really germane to what I'm trying to study. Okay, again, I'm trying to live this life just like you are. So how do we do that? How do we, how do, we do that? How do we share our faith? I, I, want, I want to unpack today about how to direct these conversations and how to do this. So 1 Peter chapter 3, for Peter is, is, uh, is going to explain about how we communicate this hope that's within us. Now understand Peter is, uh, is a disciple of Christ. He was one of the twelve. He's a fisherman, commercial fisherman. Peter is, was known for, uh, he was pretty brash. Uh, he was a man's man. Uh, he, <laughs> he was a typical male too. He put his foot in his mouth most of the time. Uh, he overspoke. Uh, he, he, he folded like a cheap suit when, when, when he was confronted at the, at the, the crucifixion of Christ that he was one of Jesus's disciples. Um, And uh, but he's also the guy that when they came to take Jesus, he he literally grabs a sword and slays and just chops off the ear of Malchus, one of the one of the guards from from the Sanhedrin. And um, Jesus has to heal him right in that moment, Malchus, his ear. This is Peter, he's very reactionary, he's very type A, he's a bit volatile, uh, he's a bit very visceral, he's very emotional. And, uh, but he sees all the miracles that Jesus does. He sees Jesus die on the cross. Matter of fact, when he, he will be crucified. He'll give his life. Uh, uh, he was known as an evangelist and he will give his life. But because Jesus was crucified right side up, he didn't feel it worthy to be crucified in the same manner in which Jesus was. So he, re- he requested and was crucified upside down. Um, he will, he will give his life for the cause of Christ and he opens up in, in this extraordinary introduction about how to prepare to share your faith. And he gives us this, these instructions in First Peter, which he wrote, chapter 3, verses 15 and 16. We're going to read this. If you don't have a Bible, it's going to be on the screen. If you do have it, just open it to First Peter, chapter 3, verse 15 and 16. He says this, But in your hearts revere Christ as Lord, and always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks, to give the reason for the hope that you have. We're going to come back to that in a minute but do this with gentleness and respect keeping a clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander he gives us two important truths peter does just real simple when it comes to sharing our faith that we find right here in verse 15 and 16 the first is is that i share the hope that i have by the words that i say i share the hope that i have by the words that i say he says there be prepared to give an answer This is more than just living the life. I get it. We need to live the life. We're going to get to that in a minute. But he says, prepare to give an answer, which means I have to give a verbal response. Because sometimes we like to go, well, you know, we like to quote St. Francis of Assisi. uh, You know, "I, I will witness at all times, and if I must, I'll use words. I get that. But what he's saying is people are going to inquire of you about the hope. There's something different about you. There's something different about your family. Don't you go to that church. I, mean, I, I see you pulling out of your driveway every weekend and, and your kids and, and your kids are inviting my kids to come to this deal. And, and uh, you know, it, it, you, you seem like you have a peace when everything is all falling apart. There's just something that's going on. You know, you've shared that, hey, you, you, you came to faith in Christ. I mean, whatever it may be, you begin to kind of people pick up and they, they watch and they pay attention because everybody's looking for hope. Make no mistake, this is the first century, 21st century later, we're still looking for hope. And it's this buzzword, but the reality is we're looking for hope. The world in, in, our, in, in, the world in which we live is looking for hope. We're, we're looking for hope socially. We're, we're looking for hope emotionally. We're, we're looking for hope financially. We're looking for hope mentally. We're looking for hope relationally. We're looking for hope. And everybody knows they're jacked up. This is the thing about humanity. We know our own junk. We know our own sin. We know our. You don't need anybody to point out your mistakes. And where does that come from? Where does it come from, this, this inside of you that says, this is wrong and this is right and this shouldn't be happening and this, where does that come from? Hey, conversations with atheists sometimes you can have or agnostics, you can go, well, where does that come from? If we all believe this, if this is all basically this part, where does this come from? You think this was just a byproduct of some primordial ooze that kind of created its way over time, and all of a sudden we evolved into this state? Maybe. Or maybe there's a creator who created you and I as his creation and his image and his likeness, and there's an intentionality behind this. There's a volition and a will behind this. There's an emotion, and there's there's this passion. There's this, I'm created for something greater than this. There's a divine design that's going on that just maybe you were created this way. And so when your life goes in conflict against that, there's something that tells you this is wrong. The dashboard of your soul kind of has a warning light. And, and when you do good, really, what is good? I mean, if you want to get into a very pluralistic, subjective, kind of very soft type of, 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 well, it's all relative, but we all agree that when you give a cup of cold water to someone and you pump a well and you give clean drinking water, that that's good and that no one should have to deal with that. When, when you give a hot meal to someone who's hurting, that, that's good. When, when there's a disaster that's happening and you're able to wrap a warm, fresh blanket around someone or you're able to help them clear the debris away to, to find loved ones, th- th- this is good. Where does that come from? See, there's a hope that you have. There's a hope that you have. And Peter says, look, would people ask you about the hope, I have an answer. It doesn't say that you have to have, your hope has to have a bumper sticker on your car. It can. I don't because I drive too fast. Can I just be really honest with you? Right? Some people go, why don't you have a clergy sticker on your car? I don't want to do that, do harm to the gospel. I'm just telling you. I, I cut you off. I don't want to be. So, um, true story. One time I'm in Mayfair parking lot and I'm going for a parking spot. And I am late to having lunch at Maggianos. Does that surprise anybody? And I am on like I'm on the mission. And I, I see this minivan coming down this way and I'm going that way and I'm gonna just and I go and I whip that car right in there. And as soon as I do, that van has just barely beat me there. And all of a sudden, it's someone from life church. And I went <laughs> Until I knew who it was, I was like, that sorry Sep sucker is not getting that parking spot, I promise you. <laughs> the hope that's in you. They're going to ask. You don't have to tell everybody. You don't, you don't have to proclaim it. You don't have to wear Christian t-shirts. You don't, you don't have to all of a sudden just, you know, you don't have to say, hey guys, I know that like, you know, we, we go to lunches and sometimes and, and, you know, and it's a business lunch, but I just want to pray over a meal and, and just calm everybody and quiet everybody in the restaurant. And I've been with guys that do that sometimes. It's incredibly embarrassing. Let's just all pray. Can we all pray here at Pizza Hut? No, we just want to eat the buffet. Thank you, right? But when people ask you, Which is great, because they're going to ask you. You don't have to set it up. You don't have to tee it up. But when they ask you, have, have the hope. Have the reason for the hope. He's not saying that you have to initiate the conversation. It's good. But when you're asked, you do have to have an answer. He's not saying that you have to be prepared to explain your Christian worldview in a convincing way. You don't have to have maps and diagrams. And here's what I believe. And here's the entire worldview. And I believe in an old world, an old world versus a new new earth uh, uh, ideology and theology because of I believe this. And when somebody says, well, what about Jonah in the well? Do you actually believe there's a fish that's big enough that can swallow a man, leave him? Yeah. Oh, really? Sure. I mean, that's right. Did Adam, did Adam have a belly button? I really want to know. Like, is this, how does this And Do you really believe that two people created all of this over this amount of time? And I mean, all of this, right? You just get these questions. These, I, don't, I, don't ha, I don't have to have a complete worldview of all of that. I, I don't have to. There's a, a theological term called apologetics where it's defending the faith. I, I don't have to defend the Bible. It's not my role to defend the Bible. Why? I didn't write it. This will help some of you. Do I believe the Bible? Absolutely. I lean so heavily on God's word that if it were to move, I would fall. But you know what? The Bible will defend itself. I don't have to defend Jesus. He, he, folks. He doesn't need our help. You understand? He's Alpha and Omega, beginning end, first and last. That which was is to come, and forevermore shall be. Before the world was around, before you and I existed, uh, he was here. And when we're done, and eternity's over, he will still be here. He's God. He, he doesn't need you and I to defend him. I, I, I don't have to. I, 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 don't, I, don't, I don't have to defend the church. And I pray to God, I really do, this has always been one of my prayers, that we, that myself, that Life Church, that we never do anything here that would be embarrassing to you, that you would have to walk in any kind of shame in your neighborhood or at your school or at your place of work. The one thing, because sometimes people say, no, you just want the church to grow. No, I want to reach people for Christ. Honestly, if I had my way, we'd have a very, very, very small church and we'd have one church service. Because the more people that there are, the more pressure that I feel. The more people that there are, the more people I felt like I could disappoint. That's just the humanity in me. And honestly, I just want to take care of Aaron and love Tammy and be the dad to Ava and Anna. That's it. Beyond that, all of this scares me because I know how jacked up I am. But I never want you to ever be in a place where you have to deal with the embarrassment of something I've done or I've said. You don't have to defend the church. You don't have to defend the way other Christians act. Because isn't that true? They think that because you're a Christian and they're a Christian, we, we're all, we all believe the same stuff. It's, no, we don't. That guy's a fool. That lady's an idiot. These people, I, no, I'm not that. No, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, that he lived, on the, he lived this life, he died on the cross for my sins, and he rose again, and that's the gospel, the good news, and I accept that in my heart and in my life. I don't have to do all of that. What I have to do is have an answer to the hope of Jesus that's in me. I don't have to have all the theological rhetoric. I don't have to understand it. I just have to have the answer to the hope that's in me. What do you mean, Aaron? It's this this is my story. This is my story. See, this is a great statement. When people ask you theological or church or God questions that you don't have the answers to, and most of the time you're not going to, and quite frankly, most of the time nobody really does theologically. I don't know what the answer to that is, but here's what I know. And then you go back to your experience. You go back to your story. You go back to the reason for the hope that's in you. That's all you're responsible for. I, well, why do bad things happen to good people? I, 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 don't, I don't know, but here's what I do know. This is what God did in my life. I, well, what, 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 what about hurting and pain and suffering in the world? And how do you explain if God really loves us? Then how could a loving, caring God allow these things? To, I, I don't know the answers to that. That's beyond my pay grade. But here's what I do know is that God loved me enough that he gave his one and only son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross for my sins. And I accepted him five years ago, two years ago, a month ago, whatever it is. And he changed me. That's all I know. See, that's my story. Let me tell you how this works and why this works. In the world in which we live, and this is one of the things I love about God, people are going crazy right now. Like going, oh, the world's going to hell in a handbasket. Has it ever been this bad. Read history. History repeats itself over and over and over and over. People are people. I don't care if like they wore like bathrobes and Birkenstocks in the Bible, and today we're wearing jeans and, you know, and jackets. It, it doesn't matter. It, people are people. And so the deal is, is we're all looking for hope because we all need it, and we cannot possess it in and of ourselves. And so literally what happens in, in, these, in these contexts is that, is, that, is that we live in a world, though, that has gotten so crazy that it, all, truth is all relative. And so your truth is true for you, but it's not necessarily true for me. And what I think, bro, may not be what you think. And can't we all just get along? And this is, just, you know, and, and I mean, and so I just, let's no hate, no whatever, and no definitive lines, and let's just all just this one, can we just have one big giant worldwide cinnamon roll hug and just all just, <laughs> right? And it feels really, really soft, because it is. Because the world doesn't know how to deal with this. They didn't know how to deal with Jesus either. I'm going to preach here in a minute. They didn't know how to deal with them. And here's the good news. You don't have to refute that. You don't have to stand against that. You don't have to debate that. But because of the pluralistic secular society that we live in, which was much like it was in the first century when Paul goes to Mars Hill and defends the faith, the Romans believed in many gods. And Paul just wanted to make sure that Jesus was one of the options. And because they believed everybody had a right, everybody has a voice, as a Roman citizen, and he had the ability to defend that, that he could present his truth and they should listen to his truth. Not necessarily agree with it, not necessarily embrace it, but at least listen to it because it was his truth. Again, history repeats itself. And 2,000 years later, we're in the same world, the same deal, the same society. And so the good news is, is that your truth, although someone may not buy into it, your truth, although someone may not believe it, your truth, although they may diametrically be opposed to it, at the end of the day, they have to give room for your truth, for your reality, because they're asking you to give room for their reality and for their truth. And so if they don't, then their ideology of life and living this, oh, can't we all get along, becomes a self-refuting theory. Therefore your truth is just as valuable as anybody else's truth as long as you don't try to elevate your truth above someone else's truth and so when you simply don't push your agenda because you don't need to have an agenda you you just love people right where they are and just be kind why because that's a fruit of the, a, a gift of the Holy, a fruit of the Holy Spirit that we talked about uh, two weeks ago in our, in our series in Galatians when you just live that life out people are going to see a difference in you and then they're going to ask you what is different about you why do you have this peace or this patience or this kindness or this goodness or this self-control in a world that's gone crazy. How do you keep your cool? What happens with you? You don't have to defend the Bible. You don't have to defend Jesus. You don't have to defend the church. You don't have to have some theological uh, dissertation on this or that. You just simply say, here is what Jesus did for me. So for Peter, what would that look like? You know, I was a fisherman and I lived on the north side the North Shore of Galilee, and my brother and Andrew, and we had a fishing business. My father had a fishing business. His father before him had a fishing business, and you know, typically because our work is we work a lot of second and third shift work, and and it's a rough uh, area, and so we go out and we fish all night, and then we bring our catch in, and then we sell it in the market, and we broker it to some uh, uh, a seafood broker that will then will sell it and distribute it to the various vendors in the market, and then that money's purchased, and and then we get paid, and that's kind of how this works, and so. We every day, this is what we do. And, and one of those days I had been out all day long and my, my brother Andrew had met this man named Jesus and, and Jesus, I'd met him and there was something different about him, but you know, I just kept doing my business because that's what I do. It's, this is what I know. And okay, great, Andrew, he's doing that, but we've got a job. We've got mouths to feed. We've, we've got wives and kids and, and all of that. And so I, I had been on one of those runs where I had fished all night and caught nothing. And I'm pulling up into the shore and here's Jesus. And uh, he, we're kind and we're talking, but I'm trying to clean the nets and get everything ready because I'm trying to put it all together. Because I just really just want to go to George Webb, get a double web. Isn't that what you do after a third shift? Amen. And uh, I just get a cup of coffee and then I'm going go to take a shower. I'm going to go home and go to bed. And Jesus says, why don't you go back out with me and take me fishing? It's <sighs> the last thing I wanted to do. So you're asking me about the hope that's inside of me. I, I said, okay, great. And This guy's not a fisherman. You can tell he's a carpenter. He, 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 he doesn't know anything about fishing, but you don't want to go fishing. And Andrew and he, my brother, they've kind of got connected. And, and he, There's something different about him. But, but we went out fishing. And I just told him, I said, look, we, we've been all night, but we've not caught anything. And he said, just let's just go. And so we go out. And lo and behold, in the middle of the morning, when we, you don't catch fish, we're catching so many fish that our nets are breaking. We're having to call out to different guys on the radio and our company to be able to come out and help us haul this, these fish in. And I'm like, there's something different. And when we got back to the shore, he looks at me with those eyes and he speaks to me in a way that it's, I don't know how else to explain it, but it pierced all the way to my soul. It was like God himself, the spirit of God was drawing me. And he looked at me and he says, Peter, why don't you leave all of this and come and follow me and I will make you. And that day I just left the business. I left it all. I left the nets on the shore. I didn't care what happened. I just followed Jesus. And I'm just going to tell you for the last three and a half years, this is what's happened. I, I've been with them and, and I, I've seen him turn water into wine. And I've, I've been with them when, when there are people that can't hear and all of a sudden they can hear and, and blind people that can see. I don't understand how all that works, but I just know that he is. And, and, and I've had these conversations with him. And one day the rest of the disciples are doing some other things and he takes me and, 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 and James and John and we go up to this mountain and, and there's God. For, for two times, I, 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 the, the, the first time I heard about it with, with John the Baptist, but but, but this time I, I I hear God's audible voice saying, "This is my son in whom I'm well pleased," and, and and I see Moses and I see Abraham. I know you think I'm crazy, but I'm telling you, man, I'm just a fisherman from the north side of Galilee, and 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 this man named Jesus, I've just seen this amazing stuff. But I was there that night that they came and they and they took him. I I, I, I reacted in such a violent way that I I took one of the the, the, the guards and I cut off his ear. And Jesus, in this humility, I mean, how does he do this? I don't get this, but he picks up his ear and he, he 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 puts it and he heals him instantly. But the same man that's going to beat him, I was there. I could hear them smacking him around. I could hear them taunting him. I could hear him beating him. I could hear him. This man did nothing. And I saw him. And then, I, man, I folded like a cheap suit. There, there was this little girl that, that said to me, you're one of the fishermen and you're one of the people. And I reverted back to my old nature, man. And I, 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 I cut and I, I cursed and I tried to do everything I could because I was scared for my life and I ran. But after he was dead on the cross, they put his body in this tomb. Joseph of Arimathea, this, this, this wealthy individual from Jerusalem. And so we go to the tomb and it's gone. His body's gone. And some people are saying it's us, but it wasn't us. It was, but there's no way. I mean, that, that, that stone was, was put there and there were Roman soldiers that were guarding the tomb that literally could have killed anybody within a six-foot radius by their bare hands. I mean, they, they, these are brutes. And we're just fishermen, the tax collectors. We're the most motley crew of people. The, we're called his disciples. He's gone. So I go back to doing what I know to do, fishing, because I felt like a failure. I rejected him. When he need me the most. And on that same shore. He comes up and asks me what I'm doing, and I knew it was him. I said, "I'm just fishing. It's what I know to do. I'm not. I'm, I'm not worthy." And then he says this to me: "What did I call you to do?" And I said, "Feed my sheep. Feed your sheep." And that's what you're supposed to do. And then he asked me something I'll never forget he looked at me in those eyes and that voice. Man, he calls me by name. He says, Peter, do you love me? Yeah, Lord, I, I love you. No, no, do, do, do you love me? Yes, Lord, I, I love you, but, I, I, but I'm a failure. Peter, do you love me? Yes. Then go and do what I've called you to do. And from that day until now, that's all I know. That's my story. See, let me help you with this. There's no chapter and verse to that. It's all in Scripture. It's his story. And when you hear someone else's story of life change, you can accept it, you can reject it, but it moves you in a way because it's the power of Christ, the power of God that raised Christ from the dead that dwells inside of you, the Holy Spirit, that God is now using you. To speak truth and hope to someone else. That's what our world needs. Our world doesn't need somebody else telling everybody who's wrong. Well, but what about judgment? Read Romans. Read Romans again, people. Christians, read Romans. It's the kindness of God that leads me to repentance, not his judgment. When Jesus encounters Peter that day, after he's denounced him, cussed him, cursed him, left, he doesn't pronounce judgment. I told you, Peter. I told you you, would, you I told you at the Last Supper. No, no, no. He just simply asks him, do you love me? Do you trust me? And Just go do what I've told you to do. And that's the second thing that, that we see here that Peter tells us to do. It's not only just simply to share our, our verbal, give an answer. But I'll share the hope by the way in which I live. I'll share the hope by the way in which I live. Verse 15, he says, do this with gentleness and with respect. It's not about an argument. You have to argue with people. Listen, you're never going to win that argument. Can I help you? You're never going to change somebody's soul by winning the argument. Why are you so convinced of that? Because again, unless someone is drawn up by the Holy Spirit, they don't come to repentance. And I've never seen someone win an argument, because when you win an argument, somebody's got to lose. And the moment, that loser doesn't just go, yeah, you're right, I'm going to give my life to Christ. No, they go off and they seethe and they foam and they get mad because they they, want to regroup for another day. But when you refuse to fight and you just love, what did Jesus do? He never ran after anybody except the lost. And he never tried to convince anybody. He just ask questions that made you introspectively think and gave you grace to figure it out. Peter says that, that we, we should do this with a clear conscience, verse 16. What, what does he mean by that? That means we should live our lives in such a way that we're not having to be dual or duplicit in the way in which we live. We shouldn't live one way at church another way during the week and we're having to figure out, are people going to see these two different worlds? So we just, just live our life. Are you going to make mistakes? Yeah. Are you going to crash and burn? Yeah. Are, are, are you going to sin? Yes. We, we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. There's none of us that are righteous. No, not one. But the reality is, is that as much as it possibly can, I'm going to live out the values of God in my life. And when I fail, I'm going to own my mistakes. I'm going to own my sin. I'm going to go on. Because His grace is sufficient. John, 1 John 1, 21. And He says that, live it in such a way, verse 16 says, that the people that speak, the critics that speak... They'll be ashamed of their slander. Meaning that in time, it'll prove out that you're not the hypocrite, that you're, 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 you're not this negative person, but rather you really have, have had a genuine experience with God. And it will literally allow the critic's mouth just to go silent. Let God defend you. Let the Holy Spirit defend you. You have to defend yourself. You don't have to defend Jesus. You don't have to defend the Bible. You don't have to defend the church. This is my story. And so today I just want to encourage you to do do two things. One is what is your story? What is your hope? I know it's Jesus, but what's your story? I explained Peter's. What is yours? I encourage you, if you've not thought about that, think about that. Write it out. Because, again, people can debate scriptures. They can debate theology. They can debate ideology. But they cannot debate the truth of your story. It's your experience. So tell it. And Peter says we should be prepared. To give an example, which means uh, beforehand, before someone asks of us, we should think through this and process through this and go, what would I say if someone says, why do you go to church? And, and, and why are you a follower of Jesus Christ? And what's different? And there's something different. There's a hope, there's a glow, there's a life in you. What is your answer? Because I'm going to tell you, please hear me on this. You're going to see more people come to faith in Jesus Christ by you simply telling your story than trying to convince somebody or argue somebody or apologetically defend this or that, or, or 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 to stand in protest of this or to stand and and just 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 love people, just be kind, let the love of God flow through you. And I'm not saying that we're soft on sin. No, but we're not there to clean the fish. We are just simply there to, to say there, there's an, there's another way, and His name is Jesus, and. How how do I express that? By just simply sharing the hope. So know what that is and write that out. And if you don't know how to express that verbally, write that out. Take time to write it down. Write your story out. Memorize it. Go over it so that you're prepared. The second thing I would encourage you to do is invite somebody to church. The reason why we do weekends like Mason Crosby and and George Koontz that's coming up in two weeks from this weekend is not because we need celebrity status at Life Church. It's not to try to get on the news. It's not to try to be cool. Man, we quit chasing cool a long time ago. It's about this there will be more people that will show up to Life Church that weekend to hear those two guys talk that don't go to church anywhere else than anything else we could do. And I will do anything short of sin to see people far away from God come to faith in Jesus Christ. If Christians don't like it, Don't mean to be mean, there's the door. If people go, I just don't know if we should be doing that in church. There's a lot of celebrity, there's the door. Because here's what I know. I have seen more people come in and listen to one of these guys talk and tell their story. That's all Mason Crosby's gonna do. That's all George Kuntz is gonna do. Here is the hope. Here's the reason behind my story. Yeah, we're gonna have fun that day. I'm gonna ask him about what happened in Detroit. I've already asked him if we can ask that. He said, that's fine. Because comebacks, man. Is that not the Christian faith? Comebacks. God of a second chance. I'm teeing that sucker up. No pun intended. You know what I'm talking about? But but, but and he was totally cool. He said, yeah, yeah, that's all about the Christian faith. That's all about that. That'd be great. So we're going to do all that. But at the end of it, where am I going? It's not a photo op. It's not to be cool. It's that I know there are going to be men and women in, these, in this room listening to what these guys will say in a way they're not going to hear me and not going to hear you. That's it. And if people want to say we're chasing cool and we're sensational and we're blah, 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 haters are going to hate. In the words of the great theologian Taylor Taylor Swift, so just shake it off. Invite someone. Why? Because here's what I know. More people will come to church because a friend has invited them to come than anything else. And if that weekend isn't the weekend that works, then find a weekend that works. We do things like this strategically all throughout the course of the year in order to give you an opportunity to invite someone that you've invested. in. Why? Because it's your hope. And then we work really hard that weekend to make sure that everything about that weekend is something you don't have to explain. And we give an opportunity for people to come to faith in Christ. That's what we're called to do, is to give this hope. Let's pray. Father, I just thank you today for your word. I thank you today for how simple it is. I thank you today, Lord, for the examples and for the life uh, of Peter that we see and other disciples of the the realism and the humanity and that's all that's there. So I just pray, Father, first of all, first of all, help us to be a church that's about reaching lost people. A church that's about being dealers of hope and about communicating the hope of you that's inside of us. Help us, Lord. For some of us, we've never done this before, and it's very scary. But help us just to, first of all, to think, because that's what it says, to to be prepared. And then when someone asks, and they're only asking because you're drawing them, that we would give that that answer. And I pray, Lord, in two weeks and this weekend, that this room would be filled over and over and over with people far away from you looking for answers. And I pray that their people's encounter from the time they come on the parking lot until the time they, they get onto Mequon Road. Father, I pray that they would have an incredibly fun experience, that they would, they would experience the peaceful uh, presence of the Holy Spirit that they do not understand and maybe cannot even translate. And God, that you would just walk through and speak through uh, Lord Mason and through, through George as they just kind of share the hope of Christ that's in them. And then I pray, Lord, when we give people an opportunity to come to faith in Jesus Christ. I pray, Lord, draw people from the north, the south, the east, and the west, students and and singles and and midlife and and families and and empty nesters and grandmas and grandpas and and aunts and uncles and cousins. And I just pray that, God, as we cast the net, that it would be like it was when you took Peter fishing, that it would be so full that the nets would be breaking. Oh, God, I pray to overflowing. Help us and the world in which we live in, to provide hope. To provide hope, because that's what you've given to us. In Jesus' name, amen.